Hello there, and welcome to the 41st episode of Blue Jays World Update. I'm your host, Thomas Hall, and let's get you up to date. So in this week's episode, I'm going to be breaking down the very first spring training game for the Blue Jays. Yes, I said that. The Blue Jays are back. They're playing baseball again. It's all very exciting. So let's get into it. All right. So if you missed it first, I don't know why you did. Get it together. How do you miss the first spring training game for the Blue Jays? Second, the Blue Jays won. The Blue Jays are undefeated in 2021. Now, they may not stay that way, but for right now, through one game, they're undefeated. And they did it in in a pretty impressive fashion because the Blue Jays won 6-4 over the Yankees. And even though they didn't have all their starters in, there were some pretty impressive performances. And let's get to one from the starter from that game. Anthony Kay, who was moved to the bullpen last season out of necessity because the Blue Jays were frankly pretty thin with options in the in the bullpen last year, at least at the back end. You know, you had uh, Anthony Bass, Rafael Dolis, and Romano, but with Giles going down, Romano ultimately going down as well, the Blue Jays needed some options. So Anthony Kay was one of those guys who went back there and he did an effective job. He was roughed up a couple times, you know, ultimately posted a 514 ERA, 495 FIP, and a 548 expected FIP. But during his first start of the spring, he looked fantastic. You know, he only went two innings, which for the first start of the spring, that's normal. But he didn't allow any hits, posted two strikeouts, and threw 25 pitches. And what's very intriguing is that he showed some extra life on this fastball, meaning it was a lot faster than it usually was. So in 2020, Kay's fastball averaged 93.6 miles per hour, topped out at 96.5 miles per hour. But in yesterday's outing, he averaged 94.7 miles per hour with his fastball and maxed out at 97. Now the max velocity isn't crazy different from his max velo from last season, but that average is notable because, you know, instead of averaging 93, 94 miles per hour with this fastball, which is what he did last year, if he can average like 95, 96, top out at 97, maybe even kick it up to 98 in a starting role, that's fantastic. And considering where Anthony Kay was last year and even in 2019, that would be a huge step forward for him because his fastball is one of his uh, one of the pitches he relies on the most through it 61.6% of the time in 2019, 56.5% of the time in 2020. So if he's able to kick it up a notch, again, average 95, 96, top out at 97, 98 maybe, that's a huge, huge step in the right direction for Anthony Kay. And also... He talked about after the game how he's going to continue to develop his cutter and actually integrate it more into his uh, pitch repertoire this season. 
Um, and, and, and it's a pitch that he only started throwing last year, only threw it nine times in 2020, but it's a good pitch. Um, you know, it, it still needs a little bit more work. You know, looking at its movements from last year, it didn't get enough drop on it. It didn't get near enough side to side action on it. So hopefully he was able to increase those numbers over the off season. And we'll see what it looks like as spring progresses, as we get into the regular season. But considering his cutter last season in a limited sample size, allowed a 114 expected average, a 151 expected slugging, a 290 WOBA, a 106 expected WOBA, produced a 33.3% whiff rate, and it also got hitters to chase out of the strike zone as it produced um, a pretty impressive uh, chase rate at 66.7%. Now, again, limited sample size, but I would love to see his cutter become used more than his changeup, and he sort of started getting on track with that yesterday when he threw three cutters to just two changeups. Now, again, that's only one pitch difference, but if K were to throw five or six innings, you'd probably see him using his cutter, you know, probably around 15% of the time and his cutter perhaps around eight. And, and I think that ratio is perfect for him because his changeup isn't a good pitch. It really hasn't ever been. So previously, he's basically been just a two pitch pitcher because he hasn't been able to rely on his changeup because it got absolutely pounded in 2019. 417 average, a 500 slugging, a 489 expected slugging, 414 Woba. Last season, wasn't really any better. 430 expected average, 549 expected average, a 392 expected Woba. And it doesn't get swings and misses either. Just had a 17.2% whiff rate in 2020. So... That changeup is not helping K, and it honestly, it probably doesn't need to be part of his repertoire, but as a starter, you like to have that fourth pitch. If he was a reliever, I'd say ditch the changeup, but for now, with K being stretched out as a starter, he probably needs to hold on to that changeup for a little bit, just mix it in here and there, and really focus on his four-seamer, his curveball, and his cutter. So we'll see how the spring progresses, but this could be a very, very good spring for Kay if he's able to continue showcasing that increased velocity on his fastball, have success with his curveball, and continue to work in his, his cutter as well. And, uh, you know, considering Kay is only 25 years old, he's going to turn 26 later this month, it's going to be tough to send him down to AAA if he continues to play like he did on Sunday. Because... That guy who took the mound against the Yankees is a much better pitcher than the guy who came out of the bullpen last season for the Blue Jays and who made his Blue Jays debut in 2019 after he was traded for Marcus Stroman. So I'm really, really interested to see what happens when Kay takes the mound next, which will probably be closer to next weekend. Probably, I don't, the Blue Jays haven't released their week-long pitching options, but I'm 
predict that K will probably take the mound on Friday or Saturday. We'll, we'll see what happens there. But keep an eye on him this spring. Now, for one of the other pitchers who took the mound for the Blue Jays against the Yankees on Sunday, Jacob Waggispack. Um, unlike K, Waggispack did not have a good outing. In fact, he almost blew the game for the Blue Jays. Now it's spring, the outcome doesn't matter, but it's always nice to win, especially that first game of spring training. And he almost blew that for them because he only went a third of an inning and he allowed three hits, three earned runs, and a pair of ding-dongs, two home runs in a third of an inning. And because this was just his first appearance of the spring, he now owns an 81 ERA. Yeah, that's bad. I know it's spring numbers and it's a third of an inning of a sample size, but an 81 ERA does not look good on the stat sheet. And unfortunately for Waggis Pack, he's not a starter, even though he basically was developed as that throughout his minor league career. And over the last few seasons with the Blue Jays, they've used him as a, a starter as well. But last season, we saw it Waggis Pack come out of the bullpen, and he was terrible. Had an 8.15 ERA, a 4.72 FIP, a 5.43 expected FIP, just a 17.8% strikeout rate compared to a 10% walk rate. Had a 204 whip, a 342 average, a 410 BAP. So, this is probably going to end up as a demotion to the minor leagues for Waggis Pack. I don't see him breaking camp with the Blue Jays, especially because he's got two minor league options. Even though he's 27 years old, he needs more time to develop as a reliever. And I think a lot of it has to do with his pitch mix because he still has the mindset of a starter because he's still throwing five pitches. And as a reliever, you don't need to do that. You don't need a five pitch repertoire, even if you're a multi-inning reliever, which is probably what Waggis Pack is gonna be long-term. But considering he only appeared in 11 games with the Blue Jays last season, just 17 and two thirds innings. He needs more work in that role. And he needs to refine his repertoire because right now he features a fastball, a sinker, a cutter, a curveball, and a changeup. And that's clearly not working for him. It's nice that he showcased a little bit more velocity on his fastball yesterday, averaged 94.9 miles per hour and maxed out at 96, which is a little bit higher. Like he, he touched mid 90s last season, but it's nice to see that his average is up a little bit more compared to his 2020 results. But he needs to cut down his repertoire from five to three. I think right now, based on what he has and how his pitches are have performed, he needs to rely on his fastball, his cutter, and his changeup. He needs to ditch the curveball and ditch the sinker because they're not good pitches and they haven't been effective for him at all in the major leagues. And they don't have good movements, so he needs to scrap them 
and solely focus on his heater, his sinker, and his changeup. If he does that, I think he'll ultimately be able to settle in as a multi-innings reliever and, uh, and, and really perform well in that type of role. But until he takes that step in the right direction, I don't see how this plays out well for Waggis Pack. Like obviously, you know, he's going to he's going to be an option for the Blue Jays if somebody gets hurt. But you just can't expect much for him from him. Because he's all over the place right now. In 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 his head. At least I think. Because it's like he, he doesn't know what role he fits in because his repertoire is is tiered to a starter but in reality he's a reliever so we'll see what happens with him I, I'm hoping for the best for him because he he has shined at times throughout his career you know I think the biggest memory for him with the Blue Jays is that start he had in 2019 against the Los Angeles Dodgers where he absolutely dominated them and dominated them with his fastball which has really good spin on it and that's how at, at mid-90s velocity he's able to fool a lot of hitters with it so it's just his other pitches that he needs to work on but again as a reliever you can get away with throwing your fastball a lot more than your other pitches so you know, again, that'll help him in that sense as well as a multi-inning reliever. But again, he needs to ditch the sinker, ditch the curveball, and steadily improve his sinker and his changeup so that they complement his four-seamer even better as he progresses. And then hopefully he can develop into a role where he can make an impact for the Blue Jays, maybe even later this season or in 2022. So we'll see what happens. But Again, keep an eye on him as well, along with Anthony Kay. Now, to the position player group. It was a pretty good day for the Blue Jays. Scored six runs on the Yankees. And one of their better hitters on the day was Reddy Telez. Went two for two with an RBI double, or two RBI double. And both of his hits were hit over 100 miles an hour which isn't new for Rowdy Telez. He did that pretty frequently last season before he got hurt. Had a 44.2% hard hit rate and maxed out at 117 miles per hour in 2020. So it was a great start to the spring for Rowdy Telez. And considering finding playing time for him may be a little bit difficult this season because you have Vladdy at first base again and because it's not smart to go with an everyday DH, you like to mix guys into that spot throughout the season. Rowdy Telez isn't going to be the everyday DH. He's going to spend some time at first base, obviously, because Vladdy's not going to play all the time there. But considering you also have Randall Grichik and Teoscar Hernandez, and even Lurdy's Gurriel Jr., you'd like to give him some days off his feet as well, but keep his bat in the lineup it's going to be a little difficult for Telez to find playing time because if there's a lefty on the mound, let's say, you're going to want to have Randall Grichik and Teoscar Hernandez both in the lineup. 
So what's that mean for, for Telez? Well, even though he's performed well against lefties in his career, he may have to come off the bench in that sort of scenario because also you got, you got Vladimir Guerrero Jr. at first base who can also slug it against lefties as well. So you've got to have him in there as well. So, I, 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 Rowdy is in a tough spot, you know, and, and it's tough because he had such a good year last season before he got hurt. You know, he hit eight home runs, 23 RBIs, had a 257 ISO, just a 276 bat, but he's not really a contact guy. Had a 369 Woba, a 133 way to runs create a plus score. Slashed at 283, a 346, a 540, had an 886 OPS, and uh, and he did a good job at spraying the ball on all sides. You know, pulled it pretty well, stayed in the middle of the field as well, and actually went the other way pretty frequently as well. So that was encouraging to see too. Uh, had some nice line drives, got the ball in the air, 33.7% fly ball rate. And he was actually okay defensively at first base. You know, obviously, he's not going to be a, a Gold Glove award winner like, say, Justin Smoke was years ago. But, you know, considering Rowdy's size, his range was, you know, okay. You know, it was average. But, uh, you know, considering first base isn't a valuable position... If he's average defensively over there and slugs at the plate, Rowdy's going to have a great 2021 if he can find some playing time. Because against right-handed pitchers, he's always going to be in the lineup. That's going to be easy for him. Easy pickings. But again, when a lefty's on the mound, that's when it's going to be a little tricky to find him playing time. Now, again, injuries could play a factor into that. You know, if... if Hernandez gets hurt, or Gritchick gets hurt, or Guriel, or hopefully not Springer, but who knows, uh, or even Vladdy, you know, if he needs a trip to the, the IL, then Rowdy will, will get an opening, but if everyone stays healthy, Charlie Montoyo and the Blue Jays coaching staff is going to have to get a little creative here, because Rowdy Teles needs to be in the lineup. The Blue Jays are better and have a deeper lineup when he's on the field and in the batter's box. So it's a great start for him. And I hope he continues to excel, force his way into the lineup and make the Blue Jays sit somebody like Grichik, even if there is a lefty on the mound, because Telez is just mashing at the plate against both righties and lefties. So we'll see what happens the rest of the spring with him. And moving on here, Bo Bichette had a an impressive day at the plate as well. Um, he didn't get any hits, but what was impressive to me is that he had a pair of walks. And, and I know that's not flashy as going two for two with a two RBI double like Rowdy Telez, but Boba Shed is somebody who's been very, very aggressive at the plate through his career and that's been an issue for him because yes his aggressiveness helps him mash at the plate it also makes him prone to strikeouts as well last season he had a 21.1 percent strikeout rate which was down from 23.6 percent 
in 2019, but his walk rate is more of the problem because when he came up in 2019, it was at just 6.6%. And then last season, it dropped down to 3.9%. But because he's, he was such a good contact hitter, he had a 353 Woba. But if he was able to generate more walks, that Woba probably would have been in the 400s. And his on base would have been high, much higher than just 328. So if Bo can continue to showcase this discipline at the plate, he's going to be, become such a more dangerous hitter this season. Because along with being one of the better young hitters in the game right now, if he becomes more disciplined and doesn't become as susceptible to strikeouts and chasing at pitches outside the zone, especially on the first pitch. How many times did we see last year when Bo Bichette, no matter where the pitch was located, was swinging out of his shoes on the first pitch of the at-bat? Too many, right? Too many times. So if we see less of that, at least him chasing pitches out of the strike zone. Bo's going to be able to take another step forward this season. And that's just his offense, not even his defense, because there's some holes he needs to fill in his defense as well at short. He needs to fix his range a little bit as well. And he also talked about building arm strength over the offseason too. And that's something that people have been doubting him throughout his career about, you know, he's not strong enough to play shortstop. He needs to move over to second. But if he's able to prove those people wrong and, and show that he has gained that arm strength and he's stronger and he can make those throws from the hole at shortstop, Bo is going to be such a complete player this season. And considering what we saw Fernando Tatis just signed for, if Bo showcases a complete year in 2021 gonna be a very very interesting offseason because we already know the Blue Jays and him had some initial contract talks there weren't any offers made but you know they uh, they tempered that idea just to see where his head's at and you know Bo Bichette's not gonna become arbitration eligible until after the 2022 season so there's no rush to sign him to an extension but if you can lock him up to a, a team-friendly 10-year deal, now it's going to be tough to get him on a, a team-friendly team deal because of who he is and who his dad is. You know, they're not going to take a cheap deal like the Braves were able to sign Ozzy Albies to or Acuna to. But if you can find a middle ground between what Acuna signed for and what Tatis signed for, get a good length, backload the deal. It might be smart to pull the trigger, but you got to be cautious of that too, because you don't want to have a Toronto Maple Leaf situation where you play one, where you pay young one young player what he wants, and then you have to do the same damn thing with the other young players on your team. So, 
it'll be interesting to see how Ross Atkins and Mark Shapiro handle that situation when it comes to that, of course. But first things first, let's see, let's have a good year out of Bo. Again, show that improved discipline, improve his defense at shortstop, and then we'll revisit this idea of signing him to an extension. Now for one of the top young prospects that's in camp with the Blue Jays, Logan Warmoth. Now he's a guy a lot of people have forgotten about because, you know, he hasn't really made any noise recently, at least. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that there was no minor league season last year. And Logan Warmoth isn't on the 40-man roster. So, you know, it's not like he garners a lot of attention, especially because in 2019, uh, that was the first time he appeared in AA. And it didn't go well for him. He had 254 plate appearances. And he only generated 14 extra base hits out of those 254 plate appearances. Didn't go yard once. Only had 15 RBIs. Struck out a lot, 29.1%. Just a .077 ISO. 267 Woba, a 71 weighted runs created plus score, a slashing line of 200, 290, 277, and a 567 OPS. But this is a very important year for Wormwood, and he certainly started it off on the right note because he came in as a pinch hitter yes, uh, on Sunday, and he got two at-bats, and in one of them, he went deep. And he went deep the other way. And for Warmoth, going the other way isn't something that he's been able to uh, succeed with over his minor league career. You know, he's, he's largely a pull hitter. So seeing him go the other way yesterday, that was very, very encouraging. And, uh, and again... He's not on the 40-minute roster. He's 25. He's Rule 5 eligible this year. And he's a former first-round pick. The Blue Jays selected him during the 2017 draft. 22nd overall. And like I said, 2019 was the first year he played above high A. And uh, he struggled. He struggled a lot. And if there was a minor league season in 2020... That would have been a big year for, for Warmoth. So, who knows what the future uh, holds for him. But, considering he's a decent contact hitter, had a 394 BAP in 2019 during his 158 plate appearances, had a 142 weighted runs, create a plus score, and he's versatile. He came up as a second baseman, shortstop guy, played a little bit of third base in 2019. Also, he's dipping his toe in the water in the outfield as well. In 2019, during his short time uh, with the New Hampshire Fisher Cats, he played 35 innings in center field. 
And the reason why he was able to play in center field after playing the majority of his career as a middle infielder is because he's very, very quick. Um, even though he struggled at the plate during his time with the Fisher Cats in 2019, he produced a 7.3 speed score, which is very, very impressive. Um, the average for that is around three or four. So having a 7.3 it's very encouraging, and, and there's no question the Blue Jays saw that and, and wanted to try him out in the outfield because they are so deep in middle infielders. You know, he, he's in a crowded position. So considering the Blue Jays minor league system isn't stocked with highly touted outfielders, this could be a way for Wormuth to come up because if he doesn't, perform well this season the Blue Jays may have to take may have to make a tough decision on him they may have to expose him in the in the rule five draft next winter and for a guy you draft you drafted in the first round you never want to do that you never want to potentially let a former first round pick leave your organization especially when he's just 25 years old but we'll see what happens with him. But again, this is a really good start for him, especially because that home run he hit, he crushed it 107 miles per hour off the bat. So, sorry, no, that was his double. He went two for two. His home run didn't go crazy far, but he also had a double that went 401 feet and he crushed it 107 miles per hour, which is even more impressive, I think, than his home run. So, you know, even though a lot of the focus is gonna be on the major league guys this spring, don't sleep on Logan Warmoth. Don't forget about him. I know Jordan Groshans gets a lot of attention too, but Logan Wormuth knows what kind of pressure he's facing this year. So don't be surprised if he balls out this spring and perhaps gets sent to AAA. Who knows, right? Like he spent a decent amount at AA. So I'd like to see him at AAA, especially because again, you know, he's going to be eligible for the Rule 5 draft. So if he's going to show you something it needs to be in buffalo with the bison so we'll see what happens but moving on to the blue jays next game they're taking on the pittsburgh pirates on monday afternoon and the guys playing in that game it's pretty notable you know along with rowdy telez getting another start you got Danny Jansen in the DH spot. Joe Panic making a spring debut. Santiago Espinal. You also got Alejandro Kirk behind the plate. And first round pick from last summer, Austin Martin, starting at shortstop for the Blue Jays on Monday. So, position player wise, I really wish we could watch this damn game. Especially because it's in Dunedin 
at the Blue Jays ballpark. But no, we don't get to watch it. We don't even get into, we don't even get to listen to it from Sportsnet's coverage. We gotta listen to it from the damn Pittsburgh radio. Pittsburgh's radio. When it's not even at their stadium. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. Not to mention, Nate Pearson's gonna be on the mound. Oh yeah, and Jordan Romano, Ryan Barucki, Francisco Liriano too. But you also got David Phelps, Elvis Luciano, Ty Tice. Like there's so many promising players in the lineup for the Blue Jays on Monday and we don't get to watch it. It's so infuriating. And I hate the fact that Rodgers doesn't care about their fans. Because if they did, they sure as hell wouldn't have the next Blue Jays game on TV on March 12th. Yeah, we go from February 28th to March 12th. We have to go through that far to watch the next Blue Jays game on TV. And there's no radio broadcast from Sportsnet either. They're just doing a, a simulcast of uh, Buck and Dan on TV. They're going to take that feed, put it on the radio. There you go. That's awful. Awful. It, it, it's honestly despicable. It's, it's, it's disgusting. Because you're a billion dollar company. A billion dollar company. And you can't even continue to have a radio broadcast. To make things even worse, Ben Wagner, who's one of the main guys, or was one of the main guys on the radio broadcast for the Blue Jays, he's down there, but as a reporter. Like, you have one of your guys down there. Put some mics up. And send the feedback to Toronto. It's not that damn hard. Also, you gotta bring the fucking equipment down anyway. Excuse me, I swore. I'm a little mad if you can't tell. But it's really not that difficult. Rogers knew the Blue Jays were gonna have to start the regular season outside of Toronto. This is not something that's new. So... They dropped the ball on this, and they deserve all the criticism they've been getting over the past few weeks. And until they fix this sort of thing moving forward, which who knows if they ever will, they're going to continue to get chirped every single spring, because this is ridiculous. You look at the teams like the Angels, and the Dodgers, they care about their fans. Why? Because they're showing almost every single spring training game. And you know what? The Yankees are also showing almost every single spring training game. And they're also doing it on the radio. So, 
it's just it, it's very disappointing it's very disappointing so we'll just have to make do with the fact that we're gonna have to uh, listen to a lot of games on the radio this year or at least not through MLB radio for Blue Jays content which sucks but it is what it is right but that does it for this week's episode I hope you enjoyed my breakdown of Sunday's game my my little rant on Rodgers too but until next time I'm your host Thomas Hall and now you're up to date and please remember to wear a mask wear it properly and also I'll add this in here too get vaccinated when you can too thanks for listening